This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work, because business is personal. Hello, More Than Workers. Today, we're going to talk about how we start the work journey, which is when we get hired. So anybody listening right now has probably been hired for a job, or you have hired someone else for a job, or oftentimes both. So what we wanted to do is talk a little little bit about the hiring and onboarding process and what it's like, because we have seen a huge variety of different processes employed here. We are in a workforce shortage, and it's going to get worse as baby boomers continue to retire at a pace of 10,000 per day. So we're going to be short workers, and many companies are complaining that they can't find good people. At the same time, many workers are out there complaining that they can't find good jobs. And we think that a lot of that might start with the hiring and onboarding process. But to start, I wanted to share a little bit of a story of an early job that I had. One of my first jobs out of, I guess it was the first job I had out of college. I worked for Archer Daniels Midland to work for a large corn plant. And I was working in a working on campus as an undergraduate research assistant. And I, we ran this little pilot plant and we were doing biodiesel research. We were making uh, diesel fuel out of soybean oil. And we had this little pilot plant that would make that. And we were doing all these runs on this little pilot plant. And so before I went to this interview in my interview suit, which was the only suit I owned in college, of course, before going, I threw on a lab coat over my suit and went to change out this tank on this pilot plant. And so I had this rent, this pair of channel locks and was working on that and da, 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 da. And then I got working on that and I was watching the time. And I was like, okay, I gotta go, I gotta run, I gotta run. So I took off a lab coat, grabbed my folder and went to the student union where the interview was. And I walked in, this is my first interview with ADM. And I walked in and it was, I, I, before I even sat down, they, the guy came out and called my name. So, I mean, I got there just in time. He came out and called my name. And so I went into the office and sat down across the guy's desk and he was gonna ask me a bunch of questions. And as I went to sit down, I realized that I had stuck the pair of channel locks in my back pocket of my suit. So it was sitting, my channel locks were in my pants for my, in my suit. And I sat down, I realized it as soon as I went to sit down. And I very quickly, like before I even sat down, I had my leather folder that everybody has, you know, in college, you have this leather folder because people will hire you based on the folder, the portfolio that you have in front of you. Right. It was emboldened with the university name and everything on the front of it. So you knew it was legit. You can't just buy these from the bookstore. And anyway, so I quickly grabbed the pair of channel locks out of my back pocket, threw it in the folder and closed my folder and stuck it down on my lap, hoping that the interviewer wouldn't notice it. He did. He did notice it. I don't know why I was worried about him noticing it, but he did notice that. And he says, what was that? What did you just put in your folder? And so I said, oh, it's just, it's a pair of channel locks. And he goes, why are you, why do you have a pair of channel locks? And so then I had to tell him while I was coming back and I had to go to my, I was running this pilot plant and I was doing the channel locks, da, 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 da. He almost hired me on the spot. He almost hired me on the spot because they knew as part of their culture in terms of hiring that they were looking for a great culture fit. And their great culture fit were not engineers who like to work in the office, but engineers who like to work out in the plant. They wanted engineers that weren't afraid to carry tools around, who weren't afraid to get dirty, who weren't afraid to get covered in corn syrup because that was part of the job. So that interviewer later told me that he said, I made the decision because I moved you on before, before we even started the first question when I saw that. So sometimes hiring processes are really, really interestingly designed. And you've seen that probably as employees who have been canceled from processes that you thought you were a good fit for. 
And you've probably seen that as employers who maybe consider the process a little bit of witchcraft. Uh, and then what happens after you do get the job and you come on board? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about onboarding. So we're going to dive in. There's going to be a little something for everybody on this one. And kick us off, it's our very own Matt Griswold, also joined by Diana Royalty and Bethany Taff. Hey, everybody. Now, first of all, if you've ever sat on a pair of channel locks, you know it right away right like you especially <laughs> especially in a suit pack it's because it's not like it's jeans where it's like it's kind of stiff in the back where it pulls yeah. you down and then also i was thinking in college like if i rip these <laughs> yeah i can't afford to buy more i can't afford to buy another one like i'm not like i don't know what i'm gonna do my mom's not here to sew it up i don't know what's yeah. it, like i guess i'm just it's probably gonna be some duct tape and a long coat that i'm gonna be wearing this is why Every interview beyond that point, you went with a pair of channel locks and just casually slid them across the table before the interview just, started, but, right? Can I just can I just set these down right here? And I made sure they were covered in like goop and <laughs> yeah. soot yeah. and oil and all this stuff. Yeah. And I put it down, put a little smear of oil on my cheek. Well, yeah. I hope I hope people are taking notes because that's the first takeaway there. Come with channel locks, uh, tools channel of the locks. trade, servant Bring leadership. Your... I'm so that's... little shocked that you thought the folder would hide them. <laughs> I mean, they're, I mean, they were open, so you could kind of like just throw it in really fast and like close the folder really fast. I mean, I just, I just thought you wouldn't ask. I don't know. I just thought he wouldn't ask. <laughs> but, but I will share like later than when I left ADM and I went to 3M, 3M was a very, very different culture from ADM, like polar opposites in a lot of ways. I don't think they would have liked the channel locks yeah. story. In fact, they were asking me in their interview process, they said, have you managed any projects? And I said, yes, I've managed a $10 million project that for to put a new maltodextrin plant, I was bragging about how great the maltodextrin was and how we did it under under time and all that kind of stuff. And they were really focused on budget and ADM didn't really focus on budgets that much when I was there. They're just kind of like, get it done, whatever you need to do. I don't know how much it's gonna cost $10 million. That's fine, just do it. And I told them the project and they said, how much did it end up costing? Did it come in under $10 million? And I said, oh, I think we spent like 18 million on that project. And they were just like, what? So you did, you were 80% over budget? That's terrible. <laughs> like, holy cow. And I remember almost not getting the job because of sharing that. But the culture fit, it was so different. Like one expectation in one company was so different from another company. Mm -hmm. uh, so navigating through that is tricky. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we begin this conversation, first of all, internally, we talked about, you know, which we do, like, what are the topics that we want to cover? What are the hot topics? And it seems like hiring, onboarding, hiring, retention, orientation, onboarding, like all of these different terms are hot button issues right now, like Don talked about, because, you know, uh, because of the shortage uh, of, of workforce right now, which seems to be out there. And we want to make sure that we are doing our best to be able to hire good quality people because we don't want to get caught in of the cycle where I'm constantly hiring. You know, we have we have organizations that reach out to us quite a bit of late and they're focused on the retention number. And it seems like where the retention number comes from, we don't need to rehash rehash that. I know we've talked about that before, but the retention number has to come from, you know, uh, a group of managers around a conference table and they look at that percentage of retention, the percentage of employees that are leaving going, oh no, we need a retention team. We need to stop people from leaving. And then we look on the outside. Why are they leaving? Where are they going? What are they doing? And we fail to look kind of internally. And what's interesting, the reason why I'm talking about retention is because so often that bottom line retention number is impacted by the front of the process, which we are talking about today, the hiring and the onboarding. So if you were like, oh man, I was hoping we were going to talk about retention. We are. 
it's called hiring and onboarding and orientation and, and understanding. And so, so I think maybe a good place to start is, is kind of the conversation that you had just talked about, Don and Diana, you went into it just a little bit there as well. But, but um, culturally, you were talking about one, one company was, wow, the channel locks, wow, that's exactly what we're looking for versus, wait a second, over budget. One of the things that I think, you know, that we want to encourage organizations to do ourselves as well is understand who is it that that I'm looking for? What are the types of workers that I'm looking for? What are the types of things that we do? Um, how do I fill those gaps of the things that we do? So what are some of those things, I guess, the pre-hiring process? Let's talk about it maybe from an employer's perspective, and then we can look at it from an employee perspective. But from an employer's perspective, the pre-hiring, before I'm ready to post anything, what should some of those internal conversations look like? I think that the, you have to start by recognizing that the hiring process is where you start to train your employees. So before the person even comes into your company, you are training them on what your expectations are. You are training them on who you are as a company. It's an opportunity for you to first start to share your mission, vision as an organization. What makes you different from other employers? So part of that, I think, Matt, when you talk about pre, pre-hiring process, what do you do to prepare for it, is you have to identify what are those things that make us different? What are the things that make us unique from the other employers? What are you going to do strange? What are you going to do weird that's, that's different than others? So many times what we see, the biggest mistake I think that employers make is they have no pre-client, pre-hiring process. They just, it's, I need somebody now. So let's post the job. Where do we post the job? And then the person shows up for the interview and like, okay, I'm just going to see if I like you. So I'm just going to start asking you questions now. And they don't have a deliberate process for it at all. And then they can't, I think that employee, I mean, I can ask the employees on this call who who are listening or on this podcast, as you're sitting here listening to it, you can feel that, right? Like you can feel it when the employer is like, just what kind of a tree would you be? You know, they ask you questions. This, tell me about your three biggest strengths. Tell me about your three biggest weaknesses. You know, uh, you know, I work too hard. I care too much. And, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's those standard questions that people ask. Whenever you get those questions, you know, my son's gone through several, he's 18 years old. He's been through several hiring processes recently and did finally find a job. But he, he's talked about how the types of questions that he was asked gave him a glimpse into what it was going to be like to work for the companies. And many times the glimpses that he got, he did not like. It was like, you could tell they didn't have their stuff together. They weren't prepared for it. Mm-hmm. So having a pre-client process, recognizing that hiring is one of your best opportunities to really establish a strong culture for your organization is I think the first tip I would have. Yeah. What are some other things, Bethany, Diana, what do you think from an employer's perspective, what are some of that pre-hiring work that that those employers need to do or think about? I think that employers need to also really understand their vision, mission, and values. And if they don't have those figured out, they need to figure those out before you bring anybody else onto the team, because those things are going to set a cultural direction. And a lot of new applicants and new younger employees are looking for companies that have that. They want to know that they're going to contribute to something bigger than just a job. And they want to know where they fit in. Yeah, that's great. Okay, Bethany, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think for another thing is just practically speaking for interviews, I think a couple of just quick, and these are more of quick tips, but I think that this is part of it too. Like, I think the processes are important, all of that. But then when it comes to actually having the interviews, making sure you have the right people in the room and just, I think that, so I think interviewing is a skill set in and of itself. And so if you haven't done it or don't feel comfortable with it, that's something to build because it sets the stage for 
the whole tone for that employee, potential employee coming in. And if you're really awkward and you don't know how to ask questions, then it's probably not going to go well because people are not going to be drawn to that. So making sure you have the right people to be a part of that process and making it really conversational. I think a mistake that employers make whenever they do interviews is it's just very like transactional and it's like a I'm going to ask you this question and then it's next, this next question, then it's this next question. And there's no discussion. There's no conversation. It's just like, okay, I heard your answer and I'm going to take note of that. And then I'm going to move on. And so I just think that's a skill to build. And if you're not comfortable with it, that's something to think about and work on. I love that one, Bethany. It reminds me when I was looking for a job, you know, earlier in my career, I was traveling around to different places and I went to one plant and was talking with them in their interview, they brought in a bunch of people that I would be working with to do the interview, but they had no conversations obviously with how they were gonna go about doing it. So I think the way they coordinated it was everybody just come up with a question and everybody asked a question, but they didn't coordinate what the questions were across them. So I ended up sitting in the middle of the room with this big like, like half moon shaped table in front of me. And they're all sitting there like the Jedi council across this big table. And there's probably 12 of them and they went from question to question. And so the first person would say, tell me about a job or, or tell me about a challenge that you've had at work recently that you solved. And I went into this big story about that. And then the second person would ask me, um, tell me about your problem solving skills. Are you good at solving problems? And then it'd be like, well, I just kind of shared, you want me to share a different story? Yeah, I'll share a different story about that. Okay, great. And then somebody else said, tell me about some challenges that you faced at work. I mean, they didn't coordinate the questions whatsoever. So by the time it came around to everybody, I was just, it was so unnatural and so frustrating to me. I ended up actually getting the job offer and I turned it down because I was like, I, I, I felt terrible about this whole experience. The whole conversation was awkward. They never broke into it. I have no idea what it's like to work here. I never got a chance to ask questions. They just weren't prepared for it. So I think that's a great point is why do we put people in situations where they're interviewing others when we've never trained them how to do that? That's a whole skill set in itself. Well, and, and here's the other part with that. I'm going to take it a step back further, not just the questions that you're about to ask them, but how do I know the questions that I need to ask if I have not yet defined exactly what it is that I need that person to be able to do, right? So Don, you had mentioned, you know, I need to hire somebody, somebody post a job, somebody post a job listing, I need to hire somebody without really having those conversations internally about what is it that we would be hiring what are the things that we would ask this person to do? And I know some jobs might be a little bit more entry level than other jobs or things like that, but what are the things that we would ask them to do? And, and here's some other questions and we could talk about these, but it seems to me that the thought process for an employer is what role do we need to hire? Uh, what skill set are we looking for? How do we have them demonstrate that skill set instead of maybe just talking about it? What are the things that we want them to demonstrate also? And how do I, how do I test for that whenever I'm going through a hiring process? So one of the other things that we want to do before we actually post the job is understand the players that we have on the field right now. Who are the people that I currently have? Are they well-placed? Do they have an opportunity to be able to use their strengths? Uh, are those jobs that they're currently in still jobs that we need filled or can I redistribute the workload? I mean, I, I think sometimes we look, you know, somebody leaves and then we look to just maybe fill that spot that was there. And maybe the company has evolved to a point to where it's not as important that I fill that spot. Maybe we need something different. Uh, you know, internally, we talk about these things when we're preparing to hire somebody like, 
you know, culturally team dynamic, not only skill set, can somebody do the job, but how do they, how do they fit with us? Right. And, and we do that not because we're snobby, but because we're doing our, our best to have, provide a service for and protect our team and culture, but also protect that person that potentially is coming in. You know, maybe they don't work well with us and that's equally horrible for that person on a team as, as small as we are as well. So there's some different things. I think the legwork or the background that employers can do more of before even preparing to post for the job that you think you need. Don? I also think there's a lot of opportunities whenever you think about pre-hiring and really plan out this process is where do you go for candidates? Where do you go for candidates? A lot of times companies will reach out for candidates through the same networks that they've always had. And that actually creates issues in terms of uh, diversifying your workforce because you're going back to the same places that you've always gone. So really think about like, who are you missing from your team and where could you go differently to attract that? One thing, and this is a harsh truth for some people. I'm going to drop a truth bomb, Matt. Nice. For this. Like Shatter dreams. 72% of potential employees before they apply for a job with you are going to ask somebody what it's like to already work for you. So they're going to go to somebody that already works for you and they're going to ask, what's it like to work there before they even apply? So if you're a terrible place to work, you're not going to get as much applicants as if you're a great place to work. So if you're having trouble getting applicants, make sure you're a really good place to work. And that does start in the hiring process. So many times we see companies who say, I can't find good people. So what I do is I pull out a mirror. If you can fog it, you're in yeah. because I can't find anybody. As long as you can show up to work and you do this, once you start getting into that cycle, imagine working with people who are, who are vetted like that, right? Once you get that, what's it like working inside that company? You started this cycle that's difficult to break out of. And the place where you can start to break out of it is to start telling people in the hiring process of saying, I'm raising the bar. We're raising the bar with what we're bringing onto this team. We're going to be really, really picky about who we bring onto this team. You're, you're setting a different expectation up front. And if you maybe look in places that you haven't always looked in, or sometimes it's even think about the requirements that you have on your job. Sometimes people put in requirements like we'll see people sales positions. I want five years of experience in sales before I would rather take a talented salesperson who is really, really gifted at what they do than take a mediocre salesperson with five years experience any day. I would rather discover somebody who has been a waiter or a waitress at a, at a bar or something like that for the last three years, who also has some natural sales skills and then teach them what they need to do to make them a great salesperson internally. I'd rather find that raw skill set than put the requirements on. So be careful in your job postings about what requirements that you put on there. Be careful about job postings about, you know, past felonies or things like that. Is that really important to the job that you're hiring? Like, are you eliminating a wide swath of things? Did somebody make a mistake 20 years ago and you've just eliminated them from a position? I'd be careful with all of those things. I think that right now the job market is making it where employers are rethinking all those things because you're accidentally screening out people. One of the people that my, one of the employers that my son was applying for, they did an online test to start off with. And one of the questions they asked in the online test, they said, would you be willing to bring a challenge to a manager? If a problem or a challenge arose, would you be willing to bring it to a manager? Or would you feel comfortable bringing it to a manager? I just, I worded that wrong. Would you feel comfortable bringing a problem or challenge to a manager? And he said, no. And immediately upon hitting the no button in red letters across the screen was like, eh, 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 eh. you're disqualified from this job. You may apply again in three months. Like, you're done. Game over. And he walked away from that going, that company's looking for somebody to lie. And I'm going, somebody who works with companies, I know most managers are uncomfortable talking to their employees about stuff. Much, most or less employees talk to their managers about stuff. Like, so I know that it's uncomfortable. Didn't also say that he wouldn't bring up a problem. 
So just be careful about arbitrary questions or metrics that you have in place. We've talked about personality assessments. Like we're looking for somebody who's really outgoing. So I'm going to give you a Myers-Briggs and look for somebody who's an extrovert. Like, do you really need an extrovert? Do you need somebody to score high in that test specifically? Personality testments, assessments and things like that are fine tools to establish fits, but just be careful what sets that requirements that eliminate people early on in the process because you could be eliminating some really good candidates. De yeah. Design that process really carefully upfront to get a good diverse pool of candidates that meet your core requirements. Yeah, you guys know I love personality tests, but I do think that I'm hesitant about them in the hiring process, especially if they're done too early in the process. If you're going to do them, do them towards the end and don't, and just be careful to not let it sway you too hard one way or the other, unless it's just like very blatantly obvious. I think you can put a little bit too much weight on that. So I would definitely be cautious. Actually, I think we talked about that even in my interviewing process, we were kind of talking about doing like personality tests. And I think I said something to that effect. And then Don was like, uh, one of the next steps is we're going to do a, qu a quiz. And I was like, is he joke? Is he serious? Is he joke? Okay. No, he's serious. <laughs> serious. But I knew that they were going to look at it in the right light. So. Yeah. I think like we use it when we do the personality assessments to open up the conversation, the interview. So for a candidate for a, a higher end position, which is what we were hiring for there, where we spent lots of time interviewing, you know, we did say Bethany went through four interviews plus a fifth exercise. I mean, it was a lot, it was a lot to come inside, but we use that personality assessment to learn more about the person so that when we get into a, a, the next interview, we can dive into more deeper conversations about the individual person. So it's not, you're eliminated because you scored this. It's how do you leverage this? It seems like this is something that could be challenging. How do you work through that? Uh, it just opens up the conversation a lot. Yeah. And I don't know how much we want to dive into the next part of that, but we did talk talk about maybe looking at this from the employer's perspective and the employee's perspective. So if, if, I'm, if I'm the employee, from the employee's perspective, I'm looking at this going, uh, or maybe I'm hearing this conversation going, man, there's so many different things to, to consider from the employer's perspective. What are some things that the employee needs to do, maybe do some due diligence on before they start to just apply? And I know, again, Maybe you're sitting there going, I just need a job. Like I just need a job right now. Or you're like, you know what? I have a job. Uh, maybe I'm looking for my next opportunity and I just don't feel like it's with the company that I'm currently with right now. Those types of things. I know there's many different, that, that, that spectrum is large there of where you might fall. But what are some things that employees can do before uh, applying and starting to interview for various positions as well? I think if you are looking for a good job, I'm going to make that distinction because some people are just looking, you just need a job. And so if you just need a job, that's one thing. But if you're looking for a good job, which by the way, you deserve a good job. If you're listening to this, I'm going to tell you that right now. If you don't have a good job, you deserve a good job. You should go find a good job or maybe do your job a little differently and make it a good job wherever you're at either way, but make, you deserve a good job. So don't put up with a bad job. There are great, lots of really good jobs out there. I think as an employee, what you should be looking for is look for the employer who's very deliberate in their process. And they're walking through and they're very carefully asking questions and they're guiding through the process. And then as an employee, become part of it. A lot of times we tell people, it's easy as the employee to think your job is to try to get the job. That's your mission, I'm trying to get this job. And the employer's mission is to try to not get you the job. So like you're fighting the employer, but really you're on the same page with the employer in that moment. You're exploring mutually whether this is going to be a good fit, both directions or not. So I, I think going into that process with that mindset, it'd be good as an employee. 
Yeah, I've seen a lot of people go into interviews and and when they say, what questions do you have for us? They say, well, what's the culture like here? And I hate that question. Don't ask that in an interview. Instead, ask something to the effect of, what's your vision, mission, and values? And how do you expect this role to contribute to those? Because that's going to tell you a whole lot more than what's the culture like? If your employer can't answer how they expect you to be part of the bigger picture or how they like their employees to personify the values, then they don't know what their culture is. They don't understand it. And so how are you ever going to understand it? So I think you need to ask deep questions and probe really well to find out what that employer is really like. Or questions like, well, tell me, I mean, what, what do we wear to work? Like in the first interview, <laughs> you know, what, what kind of clothes do I wear to work? And you haven't talked about it. When is payday? When is payday? I mean, some of those are good questions, but those are like later down the road. Like I think asking questions, you know, have some questions or my, my, the one that I really don't like at all, even more than the culture question. I don't mind the culture question as much. Diana, I hate I, that question. It's I not a it. good question. Like I but, understand what you're trying to ask, but you've phrased it poorly. It's not a specific enough question. Like, I'm not sure how to answer exactly. you. Know, where are you trying to go with that? But I yeah. always say the no question is the worst question. Like what questions do you have for me? I don't have any questions. You're right. You don't have any questions. We just talked about this job, which is really complex that you're probably going to take on. It's going to take on a good percentage of your life moving forward, but you have no questions. Okay. Yeah. That was, that was going to be one of my takeaways too, is like, come prepared with something. And, and, you know, and, and again, the reason why, and Don kind of painted it with his words there too, but the reason why we're looking for answers to those potential questions, you know, for you to have a question at the end of the interview is because you have a stake in the game now. Like you have, a, you are, you have something that you're also wondering about. You're invested. You have an interest in, you know, and maybe there's a good question or poor question, but the worst scenario is no question. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, come prepared with some sort of a question to ask, but Bethany, what were you going to say? Yeah. Even at the beginning, I think some of the best interviews are when you actually don't get into your like interview questions because the candidate comes in and they already have questions that they're just, they just start rolling and you know, that's usually a good sign. So I think that's one thing to, to know as um, a potential employee. Another thing that I, and I've talked to somebody about this recently too, of, you know, they have a technical skill that they can do, but they're not happy in the position they're in culturally. They don't, they don't love the culture of the organization. And so I think one of the one thing that you can do if you're looking for a position because you're not happy where you're at is just start reaching out to organizations to learn more about them. Don't wait for them to have a job posting. Even I would say, if you go just start interviewing companies, basically go just see who you can meet with. And I mean, most of the time, if you reach out and say, Hey, I'm just trying to learn more about your organization. It sounds really interesting. I'm looking for other opportunities. Can I just come and meet with you and ask you some questions? Most people will say yes to that unless they're super slammed. And I think that's one of the best ways just to get your name out there and get to know people and see if you are a good fit for their culture and you like what's going on there. And if they have a position in the future or know of something coming up, maybe they don't even have it posted yet, but they're thinking about, hey, we do know we're going to have a position eventually so you're going to be on you know top of mind with them or they know you know they can reach out to somebody else and refer you to somebody else who they do know how you know has an opportunity so that's another another piece of advice i would put out there so if you're interested in coming to work for people centric someday contact bethany taff to find out more i just throw that out there that's right there you go 
All right, let's uh, change gears here because now let's say, for instance, we've gotten through the hiring process. The company has done their due diligence to understand the role and what it is that we need, uh, you know, to to fill there. The types of questions we're going to ask. Great questions during the during the interview. The employee now is ready and they're prepared. They've nailed the interview. Now uh, work starts. So we're going to introduce a couple of different terms that we hear with companies that we work with, and I'm sure they're familiar terms to you too. But onboarding, this idea of onboarding and orientation versus maybe like an on-the-job training. And so maybe I thought maybe we could define some of these terms and how we would view onboarding and orientation uh, versus like an on-the-job training, uh, just so we know what we're talking about. Who'd like to give that a stab? So you talked about onboarding versus orientation. I think we hear a lot of people misuse those terms as interchangeable. Orientation is like the short meeting that you have with the client that shows where the bathroom is and when you're going to get your paycheck and how you're going to sign stuff. Like that's the really quick fill out this HR paperwork. That's kind of orientation stuff. Onboarding is a process that occurs over a longer period of time to help get the employee up to full speed in their job. That doesn't end in the first day. It doesn't even end in the first week. It happens over the course of several weeks and maybe even months into the job as the employee is getting ready. They're getting onboarded into their full position. Another term that you might hear sometimes is a trick that we talk a little bit about on the onboarding process called imprinting. And this is one that you're really gonna like as for employers. If you really want, there's research shows this on onboarding. A new employee will make a decision on how they think they're going to perform inside of a job and how serious they're gonna take their job and how bought in they are in the first hour, the first day, and the first week they're employed with you in that order. So you have the best opportunity to make an impact within an hour of them starting work with you. And then you have their second best opportunities in the first day that they work with you. And the third best opportunity is the first week that they work with you. So what happens when new employees often start? Oftentimes we make them wait for a little while because we weren't, they, oh, you showed up. I forgot you were coming. We're going to make you wait in the waiting room. And then you're going to make them fill out HR paperwork. You are wasting that one hour where you have the best time to make the best impression on the employee. So instead, what we talk about is doing something called imprinting. And that's the idea of sitting down with an employee and saying, Matt, you know, hey, look, we just went through hundred and something candidates for this position and we ended up with you and hiring you. Here's what I think you're bringing to the team. This is why we specifically chose you. Here's what I think you're gonna do for us and our vision and mission as an organization. And I am so glad that you're here. You have that conversation, you'd be very specific about it and you open it up like that. And Matt suddenly like in that conversation, just he's excited. He's like, okay, I see why I'm here. This is a big deal that I'm here. I feel really good about it, game on. I wanna make an impact. And then we really map out that first hour, that first day, that first week, and make sure he has sets of experiences that open him up to our vision, our mission, our values, open him up to other people on our team, to our customers, the product that we're making at the end of the day, just to really help him to see what the potential is for this job as he's starting to learn the details of what's out there. So thinking about those, splitting out orientation from onboarding is a really good key, key uh, understanding. And I think adding that term imprinting in there would be really helpful as well. I think this is, you know, this, this idea of onboarding and orientation is as critical to the retention number, maybe even more so than the actual retention number, if that makes any sense, right? Like we look, again, we look at retention, we think about uh, the, the, you know, we're just trying to lower this percentage. We look at it as, as, as a numeric value of how do I lower that percentage to lower retention, but hiring and onboarding is where that whole thing starts. And so 
how many of you, and I'm just going to ask a blanket question here, not internally for, of us, but really to those listening, how many of you are in a job now where your training consisted of, I showed up on the first day, I signed some paperwork, and then I immediately started to shadow somebody, go over there, stand over there, follow that person around. Um, we, we hear that a lot. We see that a lot. In fact, Don just talked about imprinting. And this is one of those where we've had the opportunity to sit across the table from business owners and CEOs and, and their faces are almost like, who does that? Like who, who takes the time to do that? Right. And the story that Don shared with, with me using that as an example, that's a true story. That's exactly how my first day after you let me in, you weren't going to let me in at first. He, it was funny joke. He said it was early, but then we got to the imprinting part, right? That whole scenario there. If you're that business owner, that you're that manager going, who takes the time to do that? Like we did. Like that, that was that was a real life example of what that happened. I'm sure Bethany has a similar scenario there too, right? That's a that's a real thing. Uh, I think one of the most recent statistics that I've seen too, talking about core values on orientation and or on, and onboarding. If you're an employer, you're, you're you are 11 times more likely to be a highly engaged employee if you understand the core values and what they mean to you on the first day, you know, that first hour, the first day of the first week. This is that time to be able to really build a solid onboarding process. What's it like to really work for an organization like yours? What's it like to be a part of a team like we have? You know, I can even think this isn't industry specific. I can even think of a mechanic shop that we work with that they've, they've, he's done such a good job of trying to build the culture and weed out maybe the toxicity that was there prior and he's got it to where he wants it. And now he's just super protective of hiring. I don't care how good of a mechanic you are. If you come in here and you start messing with the culture that we have built on the team, then you are not, you are not the right fit uh, for us. And so it's knowing, you know, the culture that you want and then holding, you know, really a lot of value to that too. So onboarding, orientation, different than on-the-job training, imprinting, Don had talked about. What are some other those uh, maybe key takeaways for orientation, onboarding that employers need to think about before that employee even maybe uh, comes on site there, they, before they arrive? I like to think too about like even some of the nuts and bolts of them starting. Like where do you park? What do you wear? All those kinds of things. Like when people show up and they don't know that, you're, you're telling them like, it doesn't really matter. It's not that important. So I think sending a, like sending out something ahead of time before they start of like a preparatory email, Hey, get ready. You're going to show up. You're going to park here. You're going to walk into this entrance and this person's going to greet you show up at this time, Matt show up at this time, not earlier show up this time, you know, <laughs> those types of things. And then when they come in, like being prepared with like a spot for them, if, if it's an office environment, have a spot for them. Some that's things clean. There. Maybe, maybe that's clean. You that's guys clean, even, though. you guys did like a card for me, which was awesome. So that was at my desk and everybody signed it. And so that was just a really nice way to welcome. I like, I like when people do that. You know, one of the best practices that I've seen too, and this is from a couple of different city administrations that we've had the opportunity to work with. They are, they know that the paperwork part is a necessary thing of what we have to do. And I've seen some of them and I thought it was pretty cool. They don't want to distract from the orientation and onboarding experience, but there is paperwork that we have to fill out as well, especially some of your jobs might be a little bit more secure before you can take them to certain areas. We got to go through that. They have them come in before their actual first day and maybe fill out some of the paperwork and say, okay, great. Now you're free to go and we'll get started. And now that's out of the way and we can just jump in with the orientation and onboarding. And it seems like that works, works pretty well too. One of the other best practices that I've seen, and I'll let somebody else talk, is, you know, instead of really just focused on the area or the job that they were hired to do, it's great to use that onboard, onboarding and orienting time to expose them to the many different wonderful parts of the business that they have now joined. 
expose them to the many different departments that your company, you know, uh, you know, services, uh, even if uh, I'm thinking of a hospital that we work with, even if, uh, you know, a clinic is remotely, they've built time into the first orientation day, it doesn't matter where you were hired, you're going to go to the different, the three different facilities there in the area within 20 minutes of each other to say, we're all one team. This is this is the department. This is the team that you have joined. This is what this you know the hospital looks like. This is what the clinic looks like. This is what the you know assisted living looks like. Like even though they're not going to work in those places, it's kind of that imprinting part though of this is what you have joined. It's not just this job that you have signed up for. This is the team that you have now joined. Diana. Yeah, I was going to say I I also want to caution employers from overloading that first day with really technical stuff. You're not going to remember all of the things you're going to remember a quarter of the things that go on that day because there is a lot to take in so i caution people a lot to just sort of temper yourself on that first day and do some fun things and some things that are low pressure so that they can just sort of get to know the people around them and start remembering names and understanding just the office politics a little bit before they jump in and like here's how you process this thing and here's the product that you're going to be working with like just breathe for a minute and let them let them catch their breath too. Yeah, sometimes we talk to Diana about how the first day should be like a Twitter training day. Like if you can't train them on a tw- you know 140 characters or less, you're going into too much yep. detail. I, yep. I know I've made that mistake before. I remember one time we created this big long, like here's everything that this position does. And we would sit down with somebody and just start feeding them stuff. And you just watch them by lunchtime. They're just like, you're ready to go to lunch. And like, yes, please. I'm just punch drunk. I can't even, you know, they forget the name of the company walk into lunch like because they got too much information in their head it's so much yeah 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 and I, and I think it's also maybe as you're building that curriculum and this is the old trainer in me is understanding the different learning styles that adults you know learning behaviors have and and maybe mix it up so it's a little more easily to digest for some of those people more engaging for them to to also digest you know and this this takes us to this idea of well how often okay so if I'm I'm if I'm if I'm scaling back maybe what orientation the amount of technical stuff that I'm that I need to provide up front there is some follow-up that needs to happen a regular kind of check-in so to speak and Don I know you talk about this quite a bit so let's say I'm the manager of a new person how often should I be checking in with that person as they are working there it's like daily weekly you know talk about that I don't think you should. I think as a manager, if you hire a new person, I think what you should do is just like ignore them for as long as you can. Totally. Just see if they come back. Sink or swim. See if they make it come back. That's how I taught my kids how to swim is you just throw them into the deep end of the lake and you know, just see what happens. You know, I think it's no. Figure it out. Figure it out. I mean, I think that in the first day, I think you should map out like hour by hour, minute by minute, what that employee is doing. And they're handed off very deliberately along the way. And you're checking in with them as the boss throughout the day. Like, uh, almost whether you're, whether you're doing every handoff or not, that's up to you. But I mean, maybe it's like you, you start at the beginning of the day that you're there, by the way, we're so serious about that. Like, I, I think it was Bethany, you were going to start on a Monday and we ended up starting like on a Thursday because I was out of town that week. Um, and I did not want you to start in the company without yeah. me being out of town. Like we delayed your start date because yeah. I wasn't there. Like we think we take the process that seriously, but then it's like, okay, so check in in the morning, check in at lunchtime, check in at the end of the day again. And then that first week I would check in, you know, at least daily, at least daily, you know, and, and, and really be talking. And then the first month I would be checking in at least weekly to see how are things going and just, and this is an open conversation of checking in. It's not a, Hey, I'm going to train you to do this. Or I'm going to show you this. Or I'm going to do this. It's literally a, how are things going? Are we still on track? You feel good. What questions do you have? What barriers can I clear for you? 
those types of conversations. So the first week, you know, daily, the first month, weekly, and the first quarter monthly, you should be checking in with your people. And I don't want us to confuse that with like micromanaging. I think, think about it from the employee's perspective, you know, from the employer's perspective, it's like, man, that's going to take a lot of time and they're going to feel like I'm on them. Like I hired an adult, right? Like this is not a daycare that I'm running, but at the same time, if I'm the employee, they're equating that. I promise you, they're equating that to value right off the bat. You're, you're creating a more engaged employee by continuing the, 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 the open communication, the transparency and communication there as well. Diana. I just saw a a manager do this really well. And he just said, we're going to check in daily until you feel like we don't need to. And then we'll move it to weekly. And then we'll move it to biweekly. And he just said, whenever you're comfortable backing those down, we'll back them down. So if you're comfortable after day five and you feel like you don't have as many questions as you did before, cool, we'll go to weekly. But if you on day 22 are still like, oh, I feel like I have a bunch of questions still, we'll continue meeting daily. And he just was very open about his time and his space and he was deliberate with it. And he said, whatever you feel comfortable with and however you need to integrate really well here, we're gonna provide that to you. And I just thought it was a nice gesture for him to say, we're gonna go at your pace and we're gonna figure this out together. It was good. I like that. I like that. That's incorporating the, the participant in the training as well. Don. I think sometimes as a new employee coming in, you're so excited to yield your knowledge and show what you can do that people come in a little bit too fast. This can put off people on the team sometimes. If you just come in and say, well, let me show you all the things I can do. You're so anxious to prove yourself. Sometimes it's good to come in kind of quiet, humble, and just willing to ask questions and just show like some, some vulnerability coming in so that you really connect and build trust with other people on the team. So I think that that's kind of one of the pieces of advice for the employees coming into a new job is come in a little quiet. Like even if you have a, if you're bringing a lot to the table, that's great, but bring it slowly, you know, bring it, bring it carefully. Don't come into the team and saying, it's a good thing I'm here. I'm going to come in. I'm going to rock this place. You got to be careful about that. Don, I would also say that that's not just for frontline employees. That's if you were hired to be the department head still maybe come in with just a little bit of humility because you can make or break the engagement of that team that you have just inherited with how you approach that team right off the bat. Diana and I recently experienced this and we see this, this time and time again too. Diana, were you going to add to that? No, I'll just echo what Don and you were saying is that that humility when you first start goes a long way. I saw a new leader come into a really large organization recently and just tell everyone, I'm not going to change anything for 30 days. I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear what's going on. I want to know how you guys are doing it. And if you want to change something, we can change it together. And I thought that that was a great way to put it. And it, it made people more comfortable with them coming in because it didn't feel like the new leader was coming in and saying, you guys are doing this all wrong and you're dumb. It was, you guys are doing a lot right. And I'm just here to help facilitate things to keep you on track and move us forward. Yeah, do your best to blend into the dynamic of that team, whether you're, again, a peer or the manager. I think you can do your best to blend into that team. Bethany? I was just agreeing with that. I really like that approach. I think it's important. Sometimes, I think sometimes leaders come in, it's really, you have great intentions and you might be really right on the changes that need to happen, but but sometimes it's just it's just going to yield the opposite results of what you want if you do it too quickly. So, yeah. So let's let's ask one more question here because uh, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna turn the conversation just a little bit here. We're talking about 
how to protect the culture of the team that we currently have. And, and, you know, the, the manager should be uh, aware of that. They should be cognizant of that, thinking about how to protect the culture, but you know what the employees, if you're an employee on the team, you also should probably want to protect the culture that you have worked hard to build that you, you live and thrive in on a daily basis. So if let, let's say that for instance, your team has now hired somebody new, your department, whatever, however you want to look at it, somebody new is coming on board. What role does that maybe that does that existing employee play in helping to onboard culturally uh, or technically, I guess, helping to onboard that new employee that's coming on board? I think those new coworkers that are going to work alongside this new employee, they're some of the biggest influencers on retention. And I've seen where people come in and accept the new person and say, we're going to rally together and, and set you up for success. And I've also seen where people are going to say, you know what, we didn't really want this position. We don't want you to come in. You're replacing someone we really liked and they don't set them up for success. And then it's a big failure. And so I think that those coworkers have a huge impact on how successful the new employee is. Yeah. And do you want your team members to be successful? <laughs> like what kind of team right. do you want to be on? Right. Like if you think about it that way, like if you help your team be members be successful, you're going to build trust within your team. Your team's going to be more successful. Everybody wins. I mean, yeah, that's, that's the I goal at the end of the day. I know that that stuff is always difficult because when you're down a person, you're busy, but I do think taking the time and the intention to help that new employee have patience and teach them, you know, teach them different ways of doing stuff and, and get to know them and take time out for them is going to be huge. I know it's difficult, but it's definitely impactful. I would even add to that too. If you're that existing employee that, that maybe you kind of enjoy that whole part of it, you kind of enjoy helping to onboard people. There's personalities that, that enjoy that. I would encourage you to talk to your manager about that as well saying, Hey, next time we hire somebody I'm totally up to be a part of the, you know, quote unquote, welcome wagon, so to speak, I can teach them this or, or, or just mentor them in this way, or, you know, whatever that might be. Some people just have an affinity for doing that uh, as well. So all right. So as we are wrapping up our more than work weekly podcast here for hiring and onboarding orientation, let's go around uh, the table here one more time and give a tip for hiring, onboarding, orientation. You can give it from the employer's perspective, the employee's perspective. How does that impact retention? Any of it, any, any direction that we've talked about, maybe that you would like to go. What is your tip for those listeners? I'm going to start off with know and understand and exemplify the core values of the company. And that's for the employers, that's for the employees, and that's for the applicants. Like do everything you can to un really understand those core values and exemplify those. Great. Thanks, Diana. Bethany? So reiterating a little bit what we've been talking about, but earlier we talked about the just the actual interviewing process. And I would say, don't under, don't underestimate that process and just go in with your list of questions and think that you're, that you're doing that well, make sure that you're well prepared for that. And if you need to practice it, by golly, practice your interviewing skills, <laughs> not for both, for both the future employee, but also the employer as well. Thank you, Bethany. Don. I would say be deliberate. So that's whether you're the employer or the employee, be deliberate about when the hiring process. So many times we apply or we post a job out there and we don't really think about what employer are we looking for or what employee are we looking for? Think about that ahead of time. 
Like figure out what's really important to you on a person that's going to be joining your team or whose team you're going to be joining and make sure that your process is according to that, what you want. I love it. Now I would even uh, maybe echo that, but add to that just a little bit here before we post for anything. Understand the players that you have on the field there, and maybe there is a spot for an internal promotion uh, or a spot to be able to move some employees, some of those chess pieces that we have there on our teams to you know, to a position that better suits them and helps our organization be better too. I don't necessarily have to be so quick to fill the spot. I understand who you have. What is it that we're trying to do? And is there somebody internally that I could maybe help fill that spot with first? So hope you enjoyed it. Hope you took a, a tidbit away or two there. If you have other topics that you would like to talk about, uh, then feel free to funnel those towards us. So enjoy the rest of your day. Talk to you soon. Hey, by the way, if you are out there and you love what you hear on this podcast and you want to join our people-centric consulting group team here, we are looking for an engagement specialist. We are looking for somebody who's charismatic, who's strategic, who is engaging, and who is a great facilitator coach to go out there and engage some clients. So if you are interested in potentially joining our team, go to our website at peoplecentric.com and check it out or follow us on social media. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the More Than Work podcast. Join us next time, and in the meantime, lead well.